morning. If you're visiting with us, my name is Ed. I'm one of the pastors here, and I've never done this before, but we are in between series of conversations. So we're going to take a couple of weeks and do standalone sermons. And today, I'm going to talk about the Bible. I'm not going to talk so much uh, from the Bible as I'm going to talk about the Bible. How did we get it, and where did it come from? Um, and I'm pretty excited about this, but before we do that, uh, we just spent the month of January, if you've been with us, you know this, we spent the month of January in a month of prayer, and we signed up for hours of prayer, blocks of prayer throughout the month of January. Many of us did, some of us didn't get a chance to, but what I'd like to do is begin the discernment process, the, what happened, uh, what did we hear? We're, we were looking for God to speak to us as individuals and as families and as a church, on your way in, you were given a slip of paper. Would you pull that out right now? And we're going to take less than three minutes, I hope, and fill out this survey. Even if you did not get to participate in prayer at all, that's okay. We would still like to hear from you. Or you can uh, hit the QR code and do it digitally. If you're watching us at home, there's a survey online. Hit the QR code and you'll go to it. And just fill out this survey real quickly while I'm talking. Uh, you begin to fill it out. You, it can be anonymous or you can give us your name. Either way, uh, we just want to hear about your experience really briefly and especially if uh, there were any noodlings for you, if you heard anything, if there were any scriptures or images or thoughts that came to your mind through this process. We'll be sending this survey out this week for uh, folks to fill out online uh, who are not here this morning, you can disregard that when you get this. We don't need to hear from you twice. What were some barriers you faced? Describe your experience in just a couple of words. Anything come to mind? I keep interrupting you, I know, but boys and girls, we, we are really uh, glad to have the few of you in here this morning who are in here. And parents, I'm so sorry. We have had a... Uh, some of our volunteers needed a break, so uh, we gave them a break. This is not prison. Uh, and um, that means that we're a little light on volunteers, uh, so we can only accommodate so many children. This is a good opportunity for you to step in and serve if, if you've been thinking of doing so. How was your experience? Again, even if you didn't participate, check that box and... Uh, let us know what some of the barriers might have been. Let me, uh, let me kick us off this morning with a word of prayer. Father, thanks so much for drawing us together. We believe that. We believe that you have drawn us. We don't believe that we're here by accident. Um, and Lord, we want to hear from you. Particularly, Lord, I pray that you would speak to, uh, Speak to us today about speaking to us. Speak to us today about your word, about, about the Bible. For some of us, um, Father, I just pray that you would re-energize us. For others of us, Lord, I, I, I really pray that you'll answer some questions and remove some of the cloud from this uh, topic, from this book. We give our time to you in the next few minutes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, today I'd like to do an overview of the Bible. I've entertained a lot of questions, it seems recently, about the Bible. And 
So I thought it might be helpful for us to take a look at it. Each week here at Gateway, we break open some part of the Bible and we talk about it, we, we find application in it, but what is it? And why do we use the Bible this way? Now, I'm not going to answer all the questions, but I hope to give us a general overview, reminder for many of you. For some of you, this will be new information. And at the end, I'm going to dial through some frequently asked questions and not answer most of them. Just to give you an idea, uh, first of all, you're not the only one with these questions. Maybe we'll do this another time and answer some of those questions. Well, the Bible is one of the most influential books in human history without question. It's been a bestseller in many cultures for as long as books have been published. The Bible's phrasing and its sentences were so influential that it actually shaped uh, the, the contours of languages, including the English language, and also including the Hebrew and Greek language, which were the languages that the Bible was originally written in. But it's not technically correct to call the Bible a book. It's really a library of books, 66 books in all, 39 books in what we call the Old Testament, 27 books in what we call the New Testament, New Testament originally written in Greek, the Old Testament originally written in Hebrew. It covers diverse topics with diverse styles of writing, even different kinds of literature in the Bible. The Old Testament was written before Jesus, and it, it centers around the history of the nation of Israel. The New Testament is about Jesus and his first followers. The Bible was written over the course of more than a thousand years. So parts of the Bible come from vastly different cultures than other parts of the Bible. And all of it comes from a vastly different culture than our own. This is just one of the things that makes reading the Bible challenging, and it is challenging. But as we approach the Bible, it's important for us to remember a couple of things. On the one hand, the Bible is utterly unique and divinely inspired. On the other hand, it's important for us to remember we do not worship the Bible. We worship Jesus. So let's unpack both of those hands. First of all, it's utterly unique and God-inspired. So what do we mean by that? Well, the Bible did not happen by transcription. There's a book in the Old Testament written by the prophet Isaiah. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but Isaiah did not sit down, lick his quill, have a scroll in front of him, and, okay, God, wait, wait, slow down. Was that an A or a V? That's not how it happened. It was not transcription. The writing of the Bible is, an, is and was an interplay between the Spirit of God and the personality of humans. God moved and spoke through human personality. This past week in uh, my small group, Amanda Smith was giving an example of what it means to have the life of Jesus flow through us. The New Testament uses that kind of language about Jesus. What does that mean? And Amanda said, you know, I've had a few times in my life when I've just, I've been talking with someone, we've been having a great conversation, and all of a sudden, I say something that is amazing. And I'm like, wait, what? I, that, that was good. And I, and I realized that that comes from the Spirit of God. The Bible is that experience in every story, on every page, in every paragraph. Let me give you my theory. My theory about how the Bible was actually constructed, the books of it. And I offer this just as a, a helpful handle. Don't, don't hold on to my theory by any means. 
Just use it as a way to imagine for yourself how this might have happened. Let's consider one of those Old Testament books. Let's take Isaiah. So Isaiah lived in the 8th century B.C. This is 800 years before Jesus. And Assyria was the preeminent power in the world at the time, and Assyria threatened Israel's security. Isaiah believed that God had raised up the Israelites as a nation to represent himself to the rest of the world. They were supposed to be a signpost pointing all peoples toward relationship with God through their character, through their relationships with one another, even through their government and the way it was organized. But they never got it right. And Isaiah's heart and spirit began to be moved even overwhelmed, I would say, by the consistent and willful shortcoming of God's people. So eventually, he started feeling like he knew God's message for the people. He came to believe that he knew God's heart toward them, both his love and tenderness and his disappointment. And Isaiah just knew. He could just see where this was going if Israel didn't get it right. So he couldn't help but speak about it. And, and he, he began delivering speeches and poems, sometimes to the king and his officials, and sometimes out in public places to all the people. He would address their behavior, their attitudes, and especially their lack of devotion and their lack of allegiance in their heart toward God. The speeches and poems gained an audience. There were people who were convinced that God was literally speaking to them through what Isaiah was saying. And this audience grew. Plus, occasionally, Isaiah would even make a prediction about what was going to happen. Well, eventually, Isaiah and probably a group of his students began to write down the speeches and poems on on scrolls. Maybe because people were demanding to read them or maybe because Isaiah was getting nearer the end of his life and he wanted his followers and others to be able to reflect on the material. For whatever reason, once the scrolls were produced, others then began to copy those scrolls and to pass them throughout the country to places of learning and to other teachers. Late in Isaiah's life, all of those writings were probably organized and written down all together on maybe three or four scrolls. This work was probably done by a group of students or or one or three or four of Isaiah's assistants. Then that work, the Isaiah scrolls, was copied repeatedly by still others and passed on further still to still others. As Isaiah's message and even some of his predictions began to bear out and come true, the reputation of his writings grew even more. Then more and more people began to recognize these writings as a message literally from God. In other words, more and more of God's people organically began to recognize that Isaiah's words were quite literally God's word for them. And eventually, subsequent generations would hear the message and they would realize, holy smokes, this is, this is timeless. It's like he's talking to me. They were dealing with some of the same kinds of stuff as Isaiah's original hearers. Their hearts had the same temptations, and they needed to hear this message from God. It became standard practice for for faithful followers of God's way to read Isaiah, to memorize parts of it, to pass it on to their children and to others. Ultimately, that same kind of process and that same sense of, of God's approval and that sense of 
wow, that message is from God. That idea surrounded a whole set of scrolls or books. And these books were identified by the Jews as the Tanakh, Tanakh. If you've heard that word, we call the Tanakh the Old Testament. And they considered it to be made up of three main parts. The Torah, this is where the word Tanakh comes from. It was just slang for them. The Torah, or the law. The Nevi'im, or the prophets. And the Ketavim, or the writings. And the writings were the wisdom, literature, and poetry, and the narratives. By the way, 43% of the Bible is narrative. It's a story. 33% of the Bible is poetry. And I believe the poetry is there because poetry always makes us look at things. It catches us off guard. It penetrates past our defenses. And 24% of the Bible is discourse or teaching. Now, don't be overwhelmed with all this information. You can't try to understand all of it at once, and you don't need to. It takes time. Think of it uh, like the internet. I never thought I'd compare the Bible to the internet, but think of it like the internet. You can't get to the end of the internet. You, you can't know it all. You, you just, you have to be involved with it. You have to learn to use it and use it the right way. And that way, the internet is like the Bible. But the thing to appreciate about the Bible from the beginning of the reading of it is all of it is true and all of it is inspired by God. All of it is true, and all of it is inspired by God, and I really do believe that. On another Sunday in the future, I'm going to convince you of that, that point. And there are generations of testimonies to that fact. What about the New Testament? Remember, the New Testament is that set of books, 27 books, that were written about Jesus and his first followers. Well, a similar process would have taken place. Again, let's consider one example. Consider Paul writing a letter to the Christians who were living in the city of Rome. We know that as the book of Romans. Paul was probably writing this letter from the, city of, the ancient city of Corinth. He was there, by the way, trying to establish a new church. And the letter seems to have been written about 20 or 25 years after the death of Jesus. Paul may have gotten reports about the Christians in Rome from someone, and he, he would have been especially concerned about them because everybody knew that Rome was the, Rome was the leading city in, in the ancient world. If you could make it there, you could make it anywhere. So he must have felt a special obligation to see a witness established about Jesus in Rome. I'm sure he spent considerable time in prayer. God, what can I say to them? What do they need to hear about you to address their concerns? What do they need to hear to speak to their lives, to speak to them as a young church? What do they need to know about you and about following your way? And at some point, Paul probably found a quiet place for a long weekend and sat down to write. Or maybe he had an assistant who stayed with him the whole time that wrote down what Paul dictated. He would have spelled out much of his typical teaching that he did throughout the world, everywhere he went to establish a church. Uh, and and he, he would have been very, very careful. He would have been careful because he was writing a letter, and letter writing was not an easy process in the ancient world. So he would have been very, very economical with his words, and he would have tried to be very, very clear. And as he wrote, he would have been repeatedly overwhelmed with the sense that this is good stuff. Man, I, I hope they read this. When the Romans received this letter, they would have been overwhelmed with that same sense of am amazing stuff. 
That letter then got copied and passed on to other collections of Christians in other cities. You've got to read this. This is going to answer so many of your questions. And then it got copied and passed on to other collections of Christians in other cities. And then it got copied and passed on to other collections of Christians in other cities. And repeatedly, they had the same experience when they encountered this letter. Until eventually, faithful Christians throughout the known world were recognizing that Paul's letter to the Romans is a very, very special book. Peter makes a note about that in his letters about Paul's writings being divine, being inspired by God. It is inspired by God. You have to read this. Slowly, over the course of years, this same sense of divine inspiration and awesomeness grew and and surrounded several biographies of Jesus— a bunch of letters that had been written by the various apostles, and a book of history of the early church. And this whole group of books began to be associated with one another. Hey, if you want to know what the faith is all about, if you want to know Jesus, and if you want to know the the way to live like Jesus, you got to read these books. Thomas, give us the next slide. Now, it's, it's usually reported I wanted you to see this before I said anything about this. It's usually reported that the church at large officially recognized the books of the New Testament, listen to this, at a meeting of church leaders 397 years after the death of Jesus. It was called the Council of Hippo. And you'll sometimes hear critics say, you know, the Bible didn't even come into existence until 400 years after Jesus. How is that reliable? And I want you to know that is a gross mischaracterization. There were unofficial lists of divinely inspired books that were being produced by church leaders, by pastors, by bishops, really several places throughout the world. We have those lists in their writings much earlier than 397. And and, uh, those lists often included most or all of the books that we now call our New Testament. In other words, this was long before the Council of Hippo. It was an, an organic process that began right away. As soon as the first readers received these books, they recognized the hand of God. If you want to know more about that whole process, by the way, just Google the term canonization of the New Testament. Now, read away, but, but be advised, you'll read all kind of wacky stuff. Uh, the word canon... Uh, you may have heard that related to the New Testament. It's just a Latin word that means uh, uh, the, 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 the standard or the official rule or an official list. And the canon process, you, you got to know this, the canon process was a very human process. And in many ways, it was, it was a very messy process. But even as you read the mess of it, you can't avoid the sense, you, you, you can't help but recognize the hand of God in it. Maybe more than all of that, more than the awesomeness of it, more than the incredible impact these books had right away and still have, the truly incredible thing to me, the the most incredible thing to me about the book, maybe more even than how inspired it is, the most incredible thing is the fact that this long, convoluted story, lots of different writers, over a thousand years, it, it, wide variety of kinds of literature, remarkably, it sort of tells one story. God is and has always been searching out a people that he could bring to himself, 
a people that he could connect with intimately, a people that he could pour his love into. But from the very beginning, sin, the things that we choose to do that don't put God first in our lives, got in the way, both in the ways we treat one another and in our disregard for God. All the way back at the very beginning in the Adam and Eve story, we hear God, after they sin, curse them. And in that curse, we hear about an offspring that will come and will crush Satan's head, but who will himself be bruised in that process? Who is that offspring? And then through the great King David, God builds a nation of people that are supposed to get it exactly right. They don't. This nation is designed to follow God's way, even down to their laws and regulations. We hear God promise that one day, David is going to have an offspring who will rule over the whole world and and will sit on an eternal throne. Who is that future king? And then Isaiah talks about an extraordinary baby who will be assigned to us all. And later he talks about a, a hero who will suffer for the whole nation. Who are these people? Who is that baby? Who is that epic sufferer? And, and how might he rule over the world with, with, with absolute freedom? How does this happen? And, and then uh, human beings don't seem to be able to get it right. Never, anywhere in the story. And finally, in Jesus, all of this comes together. All of it begins to take shape. Not full shape, but it begins to take shape. And, and we begin to see an actual vision of what this could look like. We see how sin could be taken care of. We see the baby, the epic sufferer, is also the once and future king. He also is the savior who will crush Satan, but ultimately be bruised himself. And all of that for us, so that God might have a people for himself. That's the story of the Bible. And that's the part of that's, to me, that's the wow factor. That's the hand of God. These guys did not intend to write one story, but they did. These books are utterly unique and divinely inspired and completely true. But we don't worship the Bible. And that's important for some of us to be reminded of. We have to remember that we don't worship the Bible. Our faith, our practice, our habits, our lifestyle are built on and governed by the teachings of the Bible. It's utterly unique and completely true, but we don't worship the Bible. This is an extraordinary library of books, but we worship Jesus Christ, not the Bible. Now, growing up in some Protestant settings, and some of you will be familiar with this, you can get the impression that this is the thing You can get the impression that that knowing the Bible better is exactly equal to knowing Christ better, to being a better Christian. But that's not true. God isn't assessing us by how much we know of the Bible. If that were true, the Pharisees would be the heroes of the New Testament. This book is not the thing. Loving God and loving others is the thing. Remember also, The stories found in this book are stories of people who never got it right. They were called by God's name. Many of them were trying to live God's way, but they blew it repeatedly. 
When we read about King David having an affair with another man's wife, by the way, David himself was already married, and then we read that this woman got pregnant by King David, and then we read that David strategically arranged, King David, the hero, strategically arranged for her husband to be killed in battle. He told his number one general, hey, put this guy on the front lines and then have all the other troops withdraw from him. Then we read King David marrying the widow who was already pregnant by his doing. This is not written as an example for you to follow. The point is not, you go and do likewise. These people blew it repeatedly. The stories found in this book are stories of people who are very often, usually, not getting it right. And yet, the stories in this book are about how God interacted with those people. People, by the way, very much like us. And how he accomplished his purposes in them and through them despite how ineffective they were at doing what they were supposed to be doing. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God behind the Bible. This is a very human story written by human authors. It was gathered, collected, and confirmed by human committees and translated by human scholars. It's a very human story. Plus, The writing style of the ancient Near Eastern authors is very different from our own writing style. They use very, very few details in their story. Just read any book on any fiction shelf today and then go read some of the narratives from the Bible. Very, very few details. Which means, first of all, the details that are there are very important. But it also means that it can sometimes be open to a wide variety of understandings and interpretations and misunderstandings and misinterpretations. It is a complex library and sometimes a confusing one. We don't worship the Bible. I have a a friend who is a a professor of ancient Near Eastern studies at a a prestigious uh, New England university. His, His specialty is the Old Testament. He is a faithful follower of Christ and a brilliant scholar who got his PhD from Harvard. Honestly, though, he struggles mightily with the Bible, the, the very human side of it. He struggles with how the books were collected. He struggles with how they are translated and interpreted. He struggles with the confusion that the Bible seems to allow. But still, he remains committed to it. I have heard him say on more than one occasion, listen to this, we don't have the Bible we want. We have the Bible we have. But it's exactly the word that God intended for us. You see, the Bible we want is a Bible of neat stories of people who show us exactly how to do it right with inspired and neat happy endings. We want a frequently asked questions section in the middle and at the end that that basically answers all of our bigger questions about life, leaves nothing to the imagination, and leaves no room for confusion. We don't want mystery. We don't want controversy. We want want easy to understand and easy to apply teachings and stories. We want it to thrill us at every turn of the page, and that ain't what we got. What we have is a rich and layered, complex, and life-giving testimony to how life works with God. It's life-giving. 
If you learn to draw the truth and the application and the inspiration from the Bible, it is unparalleled in its life-giving capacity. And generations of people have testified that this is the voice of God. I like the way Justin Peters put it. If you miss everything else, don't miss this. You want to hear God speak? Read your Bible. You want to hear God speak audibly? Read your Bible out loud. Okay, uh, frequently asked questions that I'm not going to answer. <laughs> but I'll, I'll try to get to this at another time. How about dinosaurs? How about all the various versions? Some of these have very easy answers, by the way. How do we know that what we have is what Paul actually wrote? I'd love to talk about that uh, sometime with you. We do know that. Do I have to believe everything in the Bible literally to be a Christian? I know several of you are thinking, wait, 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 answer that one, Ed. Not going to. Uh, <laughs> what, what, about the, what about all the contradictions? There are some easy answers to some of those. Some of them not so much. What about those books that are in the Catholic Bible and the Orthodox Bible but aren't in the Protestant Bible? It's not really a big deal. We'll talk about it another time. How about a million specific questions about some of the weird passages throughout the Bible? We don't have time this morning or this year, but uh, if we all sat together for the year, we couldn't finish it all. And some of those passages, I'm right there with you. But let me, let me answer two that are, that are more practical. Uh, frequently asked questions, I'm just getting started, what do I do? Or I'm getting restarted, what do I do? Okay. You know, do what you feel led to do, whatever fits your personality. But many of us will go to Genesis. I'll just start at the beginning because that's how we read books in English. Remember, this is a library. And I would recommend to you, if you're going to read the Old Testament, start with something like First and Second Samuel. It is a page turner. And it's a great story. And you'll enjoy it. And you won't be bored with it, and you'll begin to build a hab habit and an appetite for reading God's Word. I would also recommend in the New Testament that you read one of the Gospels. So don't go to sleep on me. We're almost finished. That's what we're going to do during the season of Lent. It begins in two weeks, and we are going to do a deep dive in the book of Luke, which is maybe my favorite biography, uh, my favorite gospel. It's the, one of my, my, maybe my favorite story of, uh, account of Jesus's life. And we're going to do that in depth and we're going to cover the whole thing. I'm going to do something I've never done before. Each Sunday morning, we're going to cover three or four chapters of the story and get all the way through the book of Luke during Lent. And this is what I want you to do. Is everybody listening? Pause. Even if you're at home, if you come on Sunday morning, bring your Bible. I want you to bring a physical Bible. And we've ordered a hundred so that if you do not bring your Bible, we're going to hand you one. Because I want you to look as we're going through the story back and forth. I don't want you to just look at one paragraph or one section that we put on the screen or that you have on your phone. I want you to see it in context. Now, some of you are old school and you're thinking, yes, Ed, about time you got everybody to bring their Bible. And here's why. Here's why we don't do that more at Gateway, because we don't worship the Bible. We worship Jesus. We don't get, want to give the impression that this is the thing. But by the way, P.S., on the other hand, this is God's Word. <laughs> right? 
and it's divinely inspired. So bring your Bible. Two weeks. We'll start Luke. Bring your Bible and bring your Bible for the next six weeks during the season of Lent. Um, and we're going to have fun. Uh, there's some other special surprises for you. You're going to enjoy it. Last frequently asked question, what's the point? <laughs> I got to cover this. Do, you, do I really need to spend time studying the Bible? I mean, honestly. I know nobody's going to ask that question out loud, especially to me. But you have that question. And if you don't have that question actively on the front of your lips, you have it in your life. Because this is how you're living. You're ignoring it. So what's the point? Let me give you an illustration of the point. Really, I think this is the point of today's message, of, of every Sunday morning at Gateway, and of your Monday through Saturday, when you try to find time to break this open and make sense of it. And once in a while, it thrills you and inspires you, and other times you're thoroughly confused. That's life with the Bible. Why do that? Um, those of you who are uh, American football fans, you know that next Sunday is the Super Bowl. And unfortunately, next Sunday, the Kansas City Chiefs will be playing the San Francisco 49ers. So the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, their quarterback is a guy named Patrick Mahomes, who's probably uh, the best player in the NFL. He's certainly the best quarterback in the NFL. But they have, even though they have the best quarterback in the NFL, Kansas City has struggled this year at times throughout the season with their offense. That means when they have the ball. They got the best quarterback, but they haven't been able to score often. They've had a hard time at times moving the ball. And part of the reason for that is because their receivers, the people that catch the ball when Patrick Mahomes throws it to them, have been an ineffective group. They, they aren't great at getting open, and they have as many drop balls, but drop passes, as any team in the NFL. Let's imagine this week on Thursday... The best wide receiver in the NFL, uh, you pick your favorite, but the best wide receiver in the NFL on Thursday says, you know what, I'm done with this team. I want to go play with Pat Mahomes. So he calls Kansas City and he says, I want to play. I want to play in the Super Bowl. I quit. I'm going to sign it with you. You don't even have to pay me. I'm just, I just want to come play with Patrick Mahomes. Hot dog, so they sign him up, they get him a uniform. He's out there on Super Bowl Sunday, lined up, he warms up, he's ready to go. Do you think he will make a difference? Yes. Yes. I mean, on a critical play, critical third down, they can gather in the huddle and Pat Mahomes can just draw the play on the, on the dirt. He's the best receiver in the NFL. Throw it up, he'll catch it. Yes, he'll make a difference but he'll be very, very limited in his effectiveness. He doesn't know the playbook. There are going to be times when he goes out for a pass and he's going to run into another receiver. They'll both fall down. There are going to be times that he gets in the way because he doesn't know the Kansas City offense. He doesn't know any of their plays. And if they get in the huddle and Pat Mahomes has to explain what he has to do on every play, they're going to get a, a flag thrown on every down. Could he be effective? Yes. Is he going to be anywhere near as effective as he could be? No. Your knowledge of God and your ability to be led by God will be dramatically limited if you do not know the Bible. You don't know the playbook. 
Can you be effective? Some of you are great people. Yes, you can be effective. Some of you really have a connection with God in your hearts. He will use you. Yes, you can be effective. But there are going to be times, frankly, when you're going to get in the way. And you're not going to be anywhere near as effective as you could be in your life if you learn to spend time with his word, getting to know him. If you want to hear God speak, read the Bible. If you want to hear God speak audibly, read the Bible out loud. Worship team, come on up. Let's pray. Father, this means very little unless we apply it. I pray for additional inspiration this week to uh, dig into your word. Just tomorrow, God, nudge us to spend time with you, to spend time hearing you, to spend time reading what you have said through generations and stir our hearts, wake us up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.